Hi, and welcome to Black White. But mostly gray, because life is not always neat and tidy. We live our lives in a million shades of gray, where the lines between right and wrong are blurred by our individual values and experiences. If we take the time to look beyond the labels, we understand that most things are complex and nuanced. Not every situation is good or bad. Not everything is right or wrong. There are many great areas in life, and that's what we want to explore. So open your minds and join us. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Black, White, but Mostly Gray. Today, we're going to talk about angry Americans and why they're so damned mad. That's right, Aliki. According to an article in Psychology Today, Americans seem to be really pissed at each other these days. And I don't know why I found that so funny, but, you know. Sometimes you got to laugh to stop the Sometimes you got to laugh to stop the crying. And one reason is that news and social media have settled on fear and anger as the most potent emotions for driving engagement. And here we are, 2024, fear and anger and driving engagement is going to be all the rage, Aliki. Heck yeah. I mean, we want to see those stats. We want to see uptick in social media. You know, it's just all kinds of stuff. You know, it is, it is, it is the way of life now for us. And it's only going to get crazier with technology, you know, proliferating. Yeah. Anyway, so Erica will be joining us in the next segment to talk about the role that politics, income inequality, and racism play in America's anger. But before we get into all that, it's time to dive into Aliki's world, where Aliki explains some of her recent social media posts to us. You ready to go, Aliki? Let's do it, Denno. All righty. Okay, the first post declares 2024 as the year of the blessing and features a young black boy singing and chanting. Aliki, what's this all about? And what is the year of the blessing? <laughs> This little kid is not singing and chanting, Denno. Well, I mean, he sings songy. I don't know. <laughs> no, he did not. Did you even watch this, Dan? I did. I did. Uh, yes. Okay. So 2024 so far has been super busy for me. So I haven't really been spending that much time on social media. This was my first post announcing my return to social media, I guess. But this kid caught my attention because he's so funny and he just he talks like an old person, like, you know, an older, per, wiser person. He's basically saying that 2024 is the year of blessings. And so what does he say? Big motion or no motion? Saying, go you know, big or go home, Go right? big or go home, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then one thing that cracks me up is uh, he says, uh, don't check for me unless you got to check for me. <laughs> That's the one I like. <laughs> I like that one a lot. Yeah. So I had to share that. It's, it's a good message. It's a good message. Don't check for me unless you got to check for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Uh, let's move on to your second post. This one kind of describes my life, always under construction. Aliki, can you read and explain your next post to us? Of course. It says, you are allowed to be both a masterpiece and a work in progress simultaneously. And of course, then I share that sentiment with you that uh, this kind of you know describes my life too. As, as much of a masterpiece as I am, because I am a child of God, my creator, because I'm made of, in his or her image, so I must be a masterpiece. But mm-hmm. I'm also just a regular human being who's, you know, always working towards uh, achieving something or perfecting myself in some way. So 
you know, that is just the duality of, of living. Well, you yeah. know, you and I come in daily contact with masterpieces when we come in contact with one another, because that's the divine nature within us, you know, and we talked about that previous episodes, and it's part of our uh, mission statement. We're all divine. Some of us are a little rough around the edges, but, you know. Speak for yourself, Denno. I'm not rough around the edges. <laughs> I said some of us, not all of us. So. <laughs> All I mean, right. You got something else you want to say there? No, I was just going to banter as usual. All right. All <laughs> right. We're going to move on to our last post. And it's a quote from one of our favorite people in all the world, Bob Marley. Can you read it for us, Sistran Aliki? Of course, brethren, Dan. It says, and this is kind of in some patua, you know, so the English is not, is not going to sound perfect. But he says, my music will go on forever. Maybe it's a fool say that. But when me know facts, me can say facts. My music will go on forever. Bob Marley. And of course, his music is still touching anybody who ever listens to it. And it's just so amazing. I've seen it bring so many different kinds of people together. And anybody can really, it depends on the mood too. You know, you can, you can really connect to Bob Marley's music. It's Fun music, you know, so when you're just relaxing, chilling with your friends. And also when you're serious, you know, because his music has serious political messaging. This guy was an activist. Yeah, you know, his music really showcased themes of, you know, social justice, human rights, peace, love and unity. You know, it's, it, it is the type of message that certainly will go on forever. And his music at least in my lifetime, will go on forever, too. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, that Legends uh, CD. Yeah. I, that... think I've, I think I've gone through, like, I went through three before, you know, uh, the advent of streaming. Digital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think, and according to my dad, I stole, you know, his CD when I went off to college. Yeah, I did take one of his Legends CDs and, yeah. But that is a classic. It is something I listen to almost every day. You know, like I I love it. And this is rare. I almost love every song on that album. That is rare for me. Now, depending on uh, when you're listening to this podcast, there's a new movie coming out or it's already come out. It's called uh, One Love and it's the Bob Marley story really celebrates the life and music of Bob Marley and uh, also his message of love and unity. When I lived in New York, I don't know if you remember this, but I had a t-shirt that was one of his famous quotes that I really loved. And it's one good thing about music, when it hits you, you feel no pain. That was one of my favorite quotes. And I loved I loved that shirt. I don't know what happened to it. Oh, it's probably sitting somewhere or somebody took it. Maybe Jeremiah oh. has it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another great quote of Bob Marley's that I like is... Uh, the greatness of a man is not in how much wealth he acquires, but in his integrity and his ability to affect those around him positively. That's certainly missing in many of our wealthy people today. Oh, just, they don't even have to be wealthy people, just humans in general these days. I mean, integrity, and there's just a lot of people who lack integrity so much. But anyways, I digress. I, I agree with you that uh, that's a great quote, and and it really relates to a lot of things that we're going to talk about in the next segment. Great stuff as usual from our favorite Gemini. When we come back, Erica's going to join us to discuss 
Why is America so mad? Stay with us. My name is David Murray, and I am creator and owner of Think Free Threads and Things, a Black-owned online apparel company. Our apparel is fun, simple, and think-free, with messages that encourage us to think freely, independently, creatively, intelligently, and wisely. We are excited to be the exclusive provider of Black, White, but Mostly Great apparel. You can check it out along with everything else we offer on our website, thinkfreethreadsandthings.com. That's thinkfreethreadsandthings.com. You can also find more info and a link to our website on the Grapevine page of butmostlygray.com. If we think free, we will move closer to achieving a more fair and equitable society for all people. Welcome back to Black, White, but Mostly Gray. Growing up in America, it used to be that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But that's not the case anymore. Every time you scroll through social media, flip through the tube, or read online news, there's someone arguing, accusing someone or something, complaining, throwing punches, or even worse. Anger has been around as long as humans have been on Earth. It is virtually in every religious doctrine. And it's interesting, Erica, um, anger is actually not all bad. If you look at some of the studies, uh, for instance, uh, this study on anger by Berkeley Social Interaction Lab shows that uh, anger is actually one of the uh, densest forms of communication, and it conveys more information more quickly than almost any other type of emotion. And yeah, passion, not- right? Right. And apparently a lot of people perceive uh, angry people to be more competent. I, that is interesting. Hmm. I guess why that's, what, that's why the politicians usually kind of tend to go that route. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a tried and true strategy. You make the voters angry and they, they become more loyal. If they're more loyal, they're more, more likely to vote across party lines rather than stop and think about what they're actually voting for. Mm-hmm. Like uh, us versus them, right? Right. There's a lot of us versus them, a lot of partisan politics out there. You know, there was a poll taken just before the pandemic, and it found that 84% of people think Americans are angrier now than they were in the last generation. And 42% of people admit that they themselves are angrier. Now, how can they be Hmm. angrier than a generation before? But maybe they're just angrier in general. Yeah, well... There's a lot to be angry about. <laughs> I mean, I see it every day just driving to work, to and from work, especially after the pandemic. People are just like the way they're speeding around and, you know, people are so quick just to give you the finger. And uh, it is, I've never seen anything like this before. It is weird. So I, I think this study is definitely like on onto something. 
It also asked what makes us so angry. And money was the number one. And that not just lack of it. I think it's it's the growing disparity between the the folks that have so much and the folks that have so little. Uh, not to mention, you know, the rising cost of living, which if you're on the bottom of that scale, that that can be it can build a lot of resentment, don't you think, Erica? Oh, definitely. You know, busting your butt to barely scrape by and you see your neighbor, you know, rolling through the hood in a Tesla and you're like, hey, you know, wh- why do they have that kind of lifestyle? And I'm I'm barely scrapping by. And I mean, I think the money gripe is their number one. It makes sense because as as someone who actually does have, uh, you know, a minor in sociology, <laughs> one of the things in all like my social uh, sociology classes that always comes up is, you know, how the middle class has shrunk in the last 50 years. If you look at the data, I, I was just looking at some uh, published on, on Forbes. You know, I said uh, back in 1970, 1971, something like 61 percent of Americans were middle class. That number is now going down to 50 percent. So not only is that happening, but the percentage of, the, of poor Americans is growing as that, that income drops even further. The middle class has been squeezed uh, from the bottom and also the top. Uh, while the top earners, you know, they went from, I think, something like uh, 29% to something like uh, 50% uh, during the same period. So, yeah, uh, and and middle-income Americans, you know, used to be able to provide for, you know, a family, let's say a family, an average family of four, be able to pay their tuition and take vacations and all of that. That's not happening anymore. So, of course, Americans are angry and money is the number one gripe. Yeah, and according to a, a 2015 study, the rate of hate crimes increases in areas with high levels of income inequality. And, you know, there, there are some cities that are struggling with that right now. Well, all the major big cities, right? You know, yeah. you got the San Francisco's and New York cities. And that's where I, that's where we did see our highest number of uh, hate-related uh, crimes. Most of the nation's 10 largest cities saw major surges in hate crimes last year that averaged 11% higher in, in one year. That's that's pretty astounding. That is. And I mean, wow. I, I think when people feel like life is so unsure, you know, like they feel threatened, we, we I think it's a natural thing. It's, it's not great, but the natural thing is to kind of turn inwardly and become very nationalist in your thinking because you're trying to preserve yourself. You're trying to preserve you, your family, and those who are closest to you. And that's what we see happening in this country, even politically now. And it's not just the United States. It's a global phenomenon that's happening because of everything that's just happened with the pandemic. But then again, you know, incomes of people have just been shrinking over the years um, for one reason or another. So as globalization takes shape and becomes bigger, regular folk earn less because, you know, the power is in the hands of the corporations. Economic inequality or the growing gap between the haves and have-nots has, is, and always will be a sore spot for many Americans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the things I thought was kind of staggering is the top 1% of households made almost five times as much income as the bottom 20% of households combined. That's a pretty large gap. It is a pretty large gap. But I always kind of wonder when we talk about these, you know, because the, the conversation 
you know, about, you know, the top 1% and this, it is, it is pretty common. I always wonder, I'm like, but we live in a capitalist society. I mean, that's what happens, you know, because the, 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 the income is going to rise to the top. That's, that's what happens. I mean, at the same time, we're a country that hates, you know, like the socialism and all of that stuff. You know, unless there's you have a government in place that actually does income distribution, this is the natural progression of wealth. It accumulates at the top. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword, you know? I mean, well, what and, and hasn't it always been like that? Even in uh, the days where there were landowners and um, people who, who had the property owners and those who worked the land, right. um, just getting by, I mean, it's it's sort of not a new concept. Do you think the gap is getting bigger? Well, yeah. I, I do. You know, if you look at this report that Aliki was talking about over the past four, uh, over the past four decades, average household income in the United States grew by 135% in the highest quintile. So the highest, you know, 20%, but only 38% for those in the lowest quintile. So not only do we have this you know, this gap between the haves and the have-nots, but it's just getting bigger and bigger because those with more are benefiting more than those that don't have enough. And, you know, I, I, I think part of it is, you know, the rules have, have, have been stacked against certain Americans and, and in favor of certain other Americans. Well, there's that, but there's also, you know, wealthy people understand how how the economy works you know a lot of our a lot of our policies you know really do benefit those who are high income owners and and property owners and you know people at the top so they know how they know how to pay less taxes you know the tax rules were probably written by people in that kind of bracket and then also uh times like bad economic times or things like you know the pandemic right during the pandemic what happened they said the biggest income transfer upward happened, you know, uh, took place during during the lockdown because those who had the money were busy buying up uh, things. And usually these, these are the opportunities come around times when the poor are suffering, when the majority are suffering, whether it was during the lockdown or during the last economic collapse, you know, when we had that, uh, the bubble, the real estate bubble. I mean, that's, that's what happens. It's- well, there's many in business that, you know, firmly believe that Chaos creates opportunity, and you know the savvy person and savvy investor is going to take advantage of that. And uh, unfortunately, many times it is at at the expense of someone else. To win, somebody has to lose, right? Well, I think a big contributor to anger in America is how politically divisive we become. Uh, the New York Times described it as a gut level hatred, a gut level hatred that is consuming our political life. So that is that is felt deep. That is like visceral, right? Yeah. Uh, some people just get so so riled up at the the others, you know, the others who are uh, um, not part of their belief system or their political party. It's just gotten worse. The intense political polarization. Um, this it's a toxic environment where nobody's compromising. Everybody's de- digging their heels in and not cooperating. There's very little uh, moderate ground anymore. It's either you're here or you're on the other side. You're with us or you're against us, right? Right. 
I, like in I one would... of the very first episodes, I, I, I got to a point in America where it's not like I disagree with you. You can't just say I disagree with you. It's like I disagree with you. Therefore, I hate you. Therefore, I'll never buy anything from you again. You know, and I think it's the same thing here. It's like gridlock is 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 the way things happen in in Washington now. I, I heard something that you know the Republican Party doesn't want to make too many laws that would uh, address the 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 migration and the border issue because they don't want Biden to get credit for it. It's like you know, can we just get things done in America? When no, the- everybody wants credit. Yeah. When was the last time the Republican Party actually legislated? It's it, it just appears to me like, I mean, I remember back when I was a teenager, back in the days of like Hub Coal and uh, back before McCain became like um, kind of MAGA-ish, which he, thank God he never really went all the way. Uh, there used to be like, this these guys used to work on legislation that worked for everyone. I mean, mm-hmm. there was bipartisanship that was there. It was, I guess those were the old, the good old days. Now, these guys, well, just, they, they'd love to just uh, chop us up into pieces, as in, you know, divide us in such little pieces so it's easier for them to get our votes. And this, right. yeah, this anger, I, I feel like this anger is, is strategic. They they know, like we we talk about it, we, we spoke about it earlier. Anger is, you know, anger makes them look, make politicians look more competent or whatever. But then also it helps them get what they need, you know, and those are the votes from specific targets and groups. The parties have even changed. You know, in the past 10-ish years, the parties have really even gotten more intensely divided. Um, in 2012, a poll found that 48% of self-described Republicans were whites without college degrees. Okay, so 48%, but 40% were whites with college degrees. Fast forward 10 years later, that 48% turns into 62 of non-college whites making up all Republicans. The I makeup is changing too. It has. The Republican Party has gone from the party of the rich guys, the rich white guys, to kind of like the party of the party of the poor whites, you know? And yeah. Yeah. And now they're just angry. <laughs> well, you know, the Democratic Party has transformed over the last 10 years, not not as dramatically, but, you know, subtly. I mean, 43 percent of Democrats uh, described themselves as liberal 10 years ago and 19 percent of them uh, said they were very liberal. In 2022, 55 percent said they were liberal and 29 percent very, very liberal. So. You know, I think what you're seeing is, you know, it's on both both sides. And mm-hmm. I I firmly believe that the vast majority of us are still in the middle. And I think you know, so, too. And we we need to be better represented. We do. Yeah. It's only it's only the the fringes, you know, the people on the French left and the French right that are getting all the media play. And and uh, and so mistakenly, people are actually thinking. You know that uh, that's where most Americans are on those fringes, but no, I really think there's a healthy and a bigger percentage somewhere in the middle, and that's I hope that group will be more outspoken and get out there and kind of you know let these people on the fringes know that they're not there. <laughs> well, 
I mean, why do you think the the people on the fringes are being elected? Is it, you know, a squeaky, squeaky wheel thing? Yep. Is it, you know, political power and access to resources that allows, because, you know, uh, running for office is not uh, inexpensive. You need connections. You need some money. Yeah, the, but the people who are the loudest get get the most people riled up. They can get sponsored yes. and yeah, right. Well, about part that. Of, part of it is our whole political system supports this because, in you know, we take a look at the presidential election. You you spend about two and a half years courting you know, the hardcore members of your party, and some of them are pretty fringe. And then you go to the general election and you try to homogenize that message so that you can get mm -hmm. the largest percentage of independents to vote for you. And and so you spend, you know, the majority of your time courting these extreme views to get your party's nomination. And then you go into the general election and you try to moderate those views so that you can, you know, uh, get into the White House. And it, it happens over and over again. Right. And you know, you know how I, I, I talked about how back in my teenage years, <laughs> in the 90s, we had politicians that actually reached across there. I remember the uh, uh, campaign finance uh, legislation that was put forth by Feingold and McCain. Yeah, Feingold. Uh, they, they, they sponsored an, a number of uh, bills yes. together. Yes. And that, that actually, I wish we could get that legislation back. I mean, since they guarded it and got rid of it, this whole political spending and, you know, and not representing majority of Americans thing has gone like it, it is, it is, it's going too far now. You know what I mean? I mean, regular people can't even run for office. Like Erica was saying, like both of you guys were just saying now because it's so expensive. Well, I mean, talking about going too far, is political violence justified? Are well, you a lot? Of are you justified is, in? <laughs> well, are you justified in you know making that stand and saying that you know I will, I'm doing this in the name of making things right according to you. That's what's been happening, well, right? You know, according to. Uh, the Dangers to Democracy report, which comes out of the University of Chicago, you know, there's a growing number of Americans on the right who believe the use of force is justified to restore Trump to the White House. And there's about 18 million people who support that. And then on the other hand, Democrats uh, who support political violence, support for violence to restore the federal right to to an abortion, which is you just yeah, so, you just said the a word. Yeah, and that's a that's a hot topic right now, huh? Yeah, but but anyway, I mean, regardless, you've got Democrats that are have, have their reasons, uh, for, and not all Democrats. Obviously, we're talking about the extremes, mm -hmm. but but a, a growing number who who support the use of uh, of force, and 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 a growing number on the other side who who also feel that uh, force is justified. So yeah, it's, it's not a, a great it's look. It's a scary time in democracy. It really yeah. but uh, supposedly it's natural. I mean, that these things happen, you know. I mean, I guess it's time that, you know, so societies across the world are feeling this 
this need for change because most people just don't feel like the politicians represent them anymore. I mean, I've been seeing things on on the internet about farmers in in, in European countries. You know, I, you know they're over there like uh, protesting. It was like they had the tractors out. They were spreading fecal matter. I don't know if it was animal fecal matter or whatever. Oh. Like government buildings. I oh. mean, people. This is not just an American thing. I mean, it is a global thing. It, I think the the world is just ripe for some change. And the, the 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 sad and scary thing is, the, you know, the anger aspect of it. Um, oh yeah, we're a can of gasoline. We just need that yes, a little yes. spark and whew. exactly. Well, and one of those sparks, you know, is the racism and prejudice, which which still is widespread and uh, and and certainly our history is marred by racial and social injustice. You know, and, and there are some Americans convinced that there is a systematic effort in place to diminish the influence of white people at Leakey. No. Do you know anything about this uh, the, what, the, the great replacement theory? Yeah. that was... That's something you and Erica cooked up? <laughs> we weren't going to tell them, were we? <laughs> we, were, we were not going to tell you, but then we found out. <laughs> done it, done it, done it. No, I mean, remember when um, Trump made that, I probably shouldn't be using the T word, but like when he made that, um, he made the speech after that uh, Charlotte. What was it, Charlottesville? That the that that protest, right in Charlotte. By, yeah, and where he said there are fine people on both sides. I mean, that's that was them. That was those are the guys behind the whole Great Replacement theory. Well, um, yeah, just just uh, real quickly, believers say the goal is uh, of of the Great Replacement theory is to diminish the influence of white people by. A number of different means, you know, they uh, through simple demographics, opening up our borders and getting, you know, as many people of color into the United States and hoping that most of them, you know, vote the way the Democrats vote. It's so funny, though, because if Republicans, these types of Republicans, actually, they open their eyes, what they will notice is that most immigrants that come into this country actually tend to come from very conservative societies. So if there wasn't, if the Republican Party wasn't uh, overtly racist, they would probably get more of the immigrant votes. Seriously. A lot of immigrants don't, you know, they don't really support some of the major tenets of the Democratic Party, like abortion rights and, you know, LGBTQ stuff. If Republicans really want overtly racist, they would get most of the immigration. So that this theory of theirs about... Well, I don't want to blame it just on the Republicans because these are kind of whack out white supremacists. Uh, they believe Jews are behind this replacement plan. And and many of them, of the white nationalists who are mar- marching in Char- Charlottesville mm-hmm. said uh, Jews will not replace us. So they, they, pretty, they pretty much whitewash everybody, Jews, Blacks, Hispanic, Asians, anybody that's not like them. But, you know, in terms of demographics, you know, they're not so far off <laughs> in a way because when you look at like birth rates, right? Like white birth rates, whether it's here in the United States or you know European countries, even they are falling rapidly. You know, if you're thinking, if you're not looking at it from a racist or racial perspective or political perspective, you know, you can you can say, oh well, globally speaking, you know, whites are actually a minority. You know, Asians and, and and black people are the majority globally. 
So sometimes when you look, you look at these things that way, you know, you can kind of understand the rationality. But my whole thing is always like, why does it have to be violent? You know, why is that? Does it have to be violence and hatred? You know, that, you know, helps them communicate, you know, their, their discomfort with the fact that the white birth rates are dropping. And in some places they are done. It's going to take a long time for them to, you know, the numbers to start going to the positives. Um, well, so yeah, I think it's because Aliki anger is just an easy, is easy, obtainable, understandable, simple emotion. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're you're doing something that you're not getting trampled on, not being yeah. a doormat, right? And right. it's it's accepted, you know, instead of being vulnerable and saying let's let's work through some of these issues, anger is universally accepted and. It is. Um, it's it's sort of sad. It's the way things are these days, you know. That's why people are so on edge. They're ready to fight. Well, a friend of mine, I had coffee with a with a buddy of mine the other day, and he he had this theory uh, about violence, especially. Uh, sorry, Dan. You know, I, I'm I'm not trying to come off as anti-white, but he said, <laughs> it, like white people naturally seems like they've always had to fight to survive, right? Like even when you look at uh, Climate-wise, you know where they supposedly originated from, right? Like you look, you know, like the Caucasus Mountains and, and stuff. It was cold over there. Like it, it's almost in 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 the makeup to fight and to dominate, you know, because that's that's what they know. That's how they've been able to survive. Versus some of the other races, you know, like you know the Africans and the Asians, where you know we kind of you know we come from. Well, excuse me, Asians. You've yes. never heard of kung, kung fu fighting? In fact, <laughs> I heard that everyone, everyone was kung fu fighting. You know, that means fighting, fighting, right? So uh, was... kung fu is fighting? Yeah. So everyone was fighting, fighting. Fighting, fighting. Yep. So. No, but his theory was just that, you know, it's it has to do with the climate. People that come from the colder climate, so I shouldn't say Asians in general, I should just say, you know, Asians that live south of the equator, people who... Are, come from south of the equator their fights are a little bit different you know like their origins and you know the the way they look at life and how you know how they've had to survive is completely different because of the climate versus you know people on the north i know i'm going to do more research into climate impact on anger because that's i've never heard of that one before but you know you you put some stuff up yeah not necessarily. It, it is mid-January, and you know the climate is affecting my anger levels. Yes, <laughs> I've been getting a little snippy. But for those of us who are, I'm, I'm into astrology, of course. You know, they say it's the alignment of certain planets that are getting people all agitated right now. So interesting, you say that because Ghostbuster, the latest sequel in the series, is coming out this year, mm-hmm. and I know that. A lot of the astrology and stuff had to do with the, the all of the ghosts coming out in the first one, wasn't mm. that right? Yeah, yeah. Zor and Igor and yeah, it, it was yeah. great. Ah, interesting. You know, as we get deeper and deeper into 2024, we're gonna hear a lot of anger from our politicians, because as we talked before, they're deliberately seeking to make us angry. They want us to get mad. Because they know that when we get mad, we tend to vote for our party, mm-hmm. whether we agree with them or not. So 
How about we say enough? How about we resist the message of anger and division? You know, it's easy to get caught up in the negativity and polarization. It's up to each of us to rise above it. Let's get together and let's do what's right for us, you know, by not giving into the the division and, and hatred. Yeah, don't take the bait, right? Take the exactly. bait. Exactly. It's like dealing with bullies, you know. They just wanna they're gonna do they one just thing. want their reaction. Yep, that's it. Erica, you want to bring in home for us? Ooh, really? Yeah. Mm, sure. Okay. Well, that's gonna wrap it up for us today. Remember to visit our website at butmostlygray.com for more stuff to feed your brain. Please like and share our stuff on Facebook and Instagram as well. Thanks so much for listening. Please keep an open mind, a kind heart, and join us next time for Black, White, But Mostly Gray. Namaste, my friends. Namaste. The McGinnity Family Foundation seeks to transform the world by helping young people use their innovative spirit to address local and global challenges. Our quarterly grant cycle is open and we are accepting applications. We invite young people aged 30 and under to apply for grants to fund their game-changing, socially innovative projects that address community needs. We are specifically looking for projects that align with our sustainability framework and address mental health, racial equality, and or a community need that resulted from COVID-19. Visit the Grapevine page of butmostlygray.com for a link to our website and more information. McGinnity Family Foundation, transforming the world by giving voice to our young people.